Good morning. Delighted to be with you this weekend. My wife and I have had a wonderful time getting to know you, getting to see what God is doing uh, here in Annapolis and its surrounding area and how the Word of God is increasing and growing and, and having an impact. You know, in the Reformed faith, we do a good job of teaching the, the uh, entire counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. We do a good job of training up our children in that Word. But as those who are committed to the Scriptures, we must do what the Scriptures require, and that is to preach this message to every creature. Every creature. Uh, I prefer that translation of that passage than uh, all creation. And the reason for that is that early on in the Protestant missionary movement, when people went out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, there was a question about whether the people they were meeting were actual people. Were they human beings? And our Lord, in order for us to get around that, he says, preach it to every creature. So if we ever break the language barriers with animals, maybe we should proclaim the gospel to them as well. Not because they're fallen, uh, but because we could give them the hope that the bondage which all creation is under, we can be delivered from. We'll be looking at the parable of the sower this morning from Matthew chapter 13. And we'll be reading that in the interpretation of that parable that is found in verses 18 and following. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the one who was sown among the thorns, this is the one whose heart, who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit, and it yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixtyfold, in another case thirtyfold. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. This morning we're going to be looking at the three parts of this parable. The sower the seed, and the soil. Now the focus of the parable is on the soil, but we want to look at these other two elements as we consider what the Lord would have us to do, not just as individuals, but as a church in extending the kingdom to every corner of this earth, beginning where we are and, ex and seeing an expanded circle of the influence and transforming power of God's kingdom. So the sower. In Jesus' time, in Israel, it was mainly wheat and barley that was sown. And it was sown by hand. How many of you have sown grass seed in your yard? Well, then you know how they did it in ancient times. They usually had a sack over their shoulder filled with seed. They'd reach into the sack and they would sling it across their bodies in this fashion. And uh, having done it for so many seasons, they became quite adept 
at spreading the seed to every corner of their field because life and death depended on the success of a crop and how much produce was produced from that crop. Now, as it has been throughout most of history, farming is a family affair. It's all hands on deck uh, when you're farming. So you have grandparents and you have parents and you have children and everyone is out doing the work on the farm. Aren't you young people glad you don't live on a farm? Don't have to, didn't have to milk the cows this morning? Uh, but it was all hands on deck if, if you lived on a farm. And so you can imagine this one a daughter coming out to help her dad for the first time. She'd never sown seed before. She's maybe very young. She reaches in her dad's sack and she begins to throw the seed. Now, if the seed that she threw falls on good soil, what happens? It produces a crop. And this is interesting because the crop that is produced is not required to be the result of the talent of the sower. That any of us who scatters the word of God, who shares it with other people, can expect results. Now, most of us get discouraged rather easy when it comes to sharing our faith with others. We know one of the worst things in the world is we we feel guilty about not sharing the word of God, the gospel of grace. So finally we muster up enough guilt to motivate us to share the word of God. And I've often wondered, isn't that an oxymoron to share the gospel of grace out of a motivation of guilt? And perhaps one of the reasons we don't see more fruit is because we're not motivated by the very same grace that we're trying to offer to others, but motivated by guilt. And so we share the gospel with someone, and it doesn't go too well, and so we crawl back in our hole and say, okay, well, we're done for six months or so. But I want you to notice that in this illustration of the sower, he's not planting one seed. He's broadcasting hundreds of thousands of seed across the field. And what we need to realize is that God does not call us to share the gospel with one or two people. The big mistake that we make when we do evangelism, we decide who we believe God wants to call to himself. And you know who those people are? People that we like. People that we feel comfortable with. People that we'd like to sit by in church. God forbid that he might save a Democrat. And he might come to this church and sit beside me. And he might still believe those same political opinions. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so we call that friendship evangelism. We share the gospel with people we like and people who like us. And maybe they're in your family and we keep sharing and we keep sharing and we keep sharing. Well, sometimes... What we need to do in that case is simply to move on and keep broadcasting to other people. And so what we need to realize as we are sowers in God's field, the world, this means that everyone we meet and in every situation we find ourselves is a potential 
opportunity to sow the seed of the Word of God. So how do you do that? Well, you don't do it by street preaching. I've done a lot of street preaching. When I was teaching at Westminster Seminary, I'd take my students out on the street and preach. And they would say, is this the best way to evangelize people? And i say, no, but it's a, the best way for you to get over your fear of preaching <laughs> to, uh, in public or sharing your faith in public. And it's also the best way of showing you that you're a lousy preacher. <laughs> you see, because no matter how bad a preacher I am, you will sit through this entire sermon. <laughs> but if I was out on the street talking to you, you'd, you'd, you'd do what? You'd keep walking by. You wouldn't even stop. You might turn your head and, and go like this. Uh, so the point is, every situation that you're in may be an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do you know? Well, you simply say, hi, how are you this morning? How's your day going? H um, how are you doing? Now, some people will think that you're strange and weird. They, in Philly, you've got to be careful about talking to people. But we are below the Mason-Dixie line. <laughs> Some people may be a little nicer down here. Uh, they may not talk to you, but it's amazing what people will tell you if you simply let them know that you're interested and open to what they might have to say. My wife is uh, gifted in this. She always comes home from the grocery store and, and says, you know, I was standing in front of the, the vegetables, and this person comes up and starts talking to me. That's over looking at, you know, the dairy, and somebody comes up and starts talking to me. Um, she lets people know that, hi, I'm friendly, I'm available to talk, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. And in that context, the things that might be said might open a door for you to introduce the gospel. Another way of thinking about introducing the gospel, that when you're sitting with people at work, you know, on coffee break, one of the things that people are always talking about is, oh, what, have you seen any good movies lately? Or have you uh, had any, seen any interesting television programs? And uh, what you can say is you can say something like this. You can say, you know what, I just saw a great television program. It's called The Chosen. Any of y'all seen that series? The Chosen, it's, inter it's interesting how they present the gospel. And this would be a way for people to, to listen uh, to, the, to the gospel. Uh, another thing you could do is, is, you know, one of the things, that if you get together with people at work, if you go to work, if you're Zooming with people at the office, uh, they might say, what did you do this weekend? And you could say, man, I had the greatest Sunday ever. You would have not believed our guest preacher. He was wonderful. <laughs> well, what did he talk about? You could say, well, he talked about the importance of the Word of God and, and knowing it and sharing it with other people. Would you be interested in knowing about that? Another thing you can do is, is as you're talking to people, and they, how many of you have people that they, they, they call you up and they're just going, continually going on about their problems and problems and problems? They won't hang up. Anybody have friends like that? <laughs> Well, this one lady asked me, what do I do? My, my family calls me. They won't let me get off the phone. They keep telling me their problems. I said, just say, well, let's pray about that. And uh, what happens when you say, let's pray about that, they'll say, well, I'm busy. I got to go and hang up. <laughs> and she came back to me and said, you know, you're right, Pastor. I've been using that. And as soon as I said, let's pray, they want to hang up. But that's a way of introducing God into the conversation. One of the, th the things that 
I like to do with people when you say, hi, how are you? And they say, I'm having a terrible day. You say, well, I'm going to pray for you. And um, don't ever tell someone you're going to pray for them and later just pray for them right now. So you ask them, can I pray for you right now? And you look them in the eye and say, let's pray with the eyes open because, you know, closing your eyes is not something people feel comfortable doing. And so you just pray a very quick prayer with them right there. And the other thing is no one know that you're praying with them. The other thing you could do is you're talking to someone and they might say, you read any good books lately? Can anybody answer that question? What good book have you been reading lately? <laughs> you say, yeah, you know, I've been reading uh, the Gospel of Matthew. It's, it's fascinating what Jesus says. And you say, oh, I'd like that, but I don't have a Bible. And you know what you can do? You can say, well, let me show you how to download the Bible app onto your phone. It's a great thing because you don't have to carry tracks with you, you know. You just hand them a track. Or another thing you can do is, is, is you know, people are always talking about podcasts. You know, are you listening to podcasts? And you could say, hey, I've got some really great podcasts for you. Some, and you could, you know, do you have a website with your sermons online? And So, you know, you can you listen to my pastor. You can listen to any pastor in the world. Uh, preach, that's a dangerous thing when our congregation can listen to the best pastors in the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, and, and so you just kind of sow the Word of God into people's lives. And, and one of the things you could say to someone is say, you know, uh, if you're interested, let's study the Bible together. Let's study the Bible together. Uh, because one of the, most, the best ways of sowing the Word of God is to invite someone to re regularly read the Word of God to you. And you might say, yeah, but what if they have questions that I can't answer? That's not important. You simply say, well, let's keep reading and see if the answer comes up later in the text. Because you know who might answer their questions? Who might answer their questions as they're reading God's Word? The Holy Spirit, God Himself. So don't, don't worry about that. In fact, one of my favorite ways of studying the Bible with non-Christians is letting them teach me what it says. We have a, a young, uh, not a young man, he's, we actually bought our house from him. And uh, he's very left-leaning, and uh, so he's been coming to our community group. And uh, he just says, I can't believe what you guys are teaching. Nobody on the left is saying this kind of stuff, like, you know, forgive your enemies and uh, pray for those who persecute you and, and uh, those type of things. And so he, uh, um, I actually let him teach us the parable of the... Um, the rich man and Lazarus. So I let a non-Christian teach our community group, which, by the way, is all mature Christians, so I wouldn't have anyone being misled. I let him teach us the Bible. Now, why would you want a non-Christian to teach you the Bible? Because you learn what they think, right? You learn what kind of questions they're asking, and you, more importantly, uh, they might help you to see something that you haven't seen in the Word of God. Right? And so you're learning about how to share the gospel with him through what he says. And we do that quite often with Muslims. We read through the Bible with Muslims and let them tell us what they think it says. And all the time, uh, what's great about this is that our friend, who's not a Christian, he spent the entire week studying that parable. Now, who was teaching him the word of God that whole week? The Spirit of God, hopefully, it was at work in his life. Uh, and so 
a lot of times we just encourage people to read the scriptures. Another great way to sow the seed is invite people to church. Now don't just simply invite them to church, offer to go by and pick them up and bring them to church. My parents had two cars and we took two cars to church on Sunday. You know why? Because there wasn't enough room to stop and pick people up in one car. <laughs> so they would drive by and pick, you know, one family up who didn't have a car. And my mom would drive another car and pick another couple people up who didn't have a way to get to church. And it's hard for people to say, no, I can't go to church because I have a way when, when you're there to pick them, uh, pick them up. And so these are the ways that we sow the word of God. Now, the second thing we find out about this is the sower in the, our text is that the sower is not responsible for the result of his sowing. He's not responsible. Now, this is a very important principle because far too often we've change the emphasis from the, the word itself to the person sowing. And we've said, you know, if I change how I sow, that might change the crop that is produced. But here's the problem. When you begin to change what you sow in order to tickle the ears of your hearers, in order to make the message more acceptable, what have you done? you've rendered the Word of God powerless. In fact, the question is, are you really preaching the Word of God? Are you being faithful to what the Word of God says? And far too often, in order to up the yields, we've perverted the message, and what we're getting is not true conversions, but uh, less than, than true conversions. So the, the, the result of the sowing is not in your hands, it's in, it's in God's hands. Now one of the things that this passage does not say, it does not say, you know, find a couple of pots and uh, keep planting seeds in those pots. And again, that's what we do in what we call friendship evangelism. We have our few people that we're working on and we think if we keep working on those people, something's going to happen. The method that the Bible talks about is broadcasting the seed everywhere. It's more people that we share the gospel with, not fewer. And when we do that, uh, God will lead you to people who he's prepared for his great harvest. So first of all, we see the sower. He sows everywhere. And you don't have to be a professional to do this. Even you children can encourage people to, uh, to give their lives to Christ, to share the word with them. The second aspect of this parable is the soil, uh, excuse me, is the seed. The seed. Now the seed is the word of God or the, the message of the kingdom. Do you know what's interesting about this, this seed? It cannot be stopped. If it's distributed, it produces a result. It produces a result in the most difficult and, and hard places. If it's thrown among the rocks, it will produce a result. If it's thrown among uh, the weeds, it will produce a result. If it's sown in the good soil, it will produce a result 160 and 30 fold. Do you know what the average yield was in, the, in Jesus' day for farmers? You know what they thought a bumper, a bumper crop was? Six fold. 
sixfold. Can you imagine that? But Jesus is saying the Word of God is, is ten times more powerful than that. Uh, that it will produce a, an enormous difference in, in people's lives. And I've wondered if, if you've seen that in your own life. I wonder if you can testify this morning that the Word of God so captivated you, so took hold of your life, that it completely transformed and changed it. Because that's what the Word of God does. We have a, uh, uh, a lady who came to our church. She first came to our community group. She was brought by a friend. And she came in. She was very nervous. She wasn't a believer. And she said, I can only stay a few minutes. And she sat down and I began to teach. And as I taught, you could just see her become fixated on the message. She wasn't fixated on what I was saying. She was fixated by the word of God. And she stayed the entire time. She called my wife and I up and said, can I meet with you? So we met with her later that next day. And she said, what you, what you taught, I had never heard before. And I have given my life to Christ. And I've repented of my uh, immoral relationship that I'm in. And I want to follow Jesus. I did not know this woman five minutes before she came in the room. I didn't spend any time with her after she came in the room. The transforming power came from the Word of God. Whenever you believe that your friendship is more powerful than the Word of God, you have a problem. The Word of God living in you should make your friendship a, an experience of grace in other people's lives, but it is not the power that changes people's lives. It is the Word of God. I'll never forget in uh, the story of the, the men on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus was sharing with them how from all of Scripture it points to a Messiah who was to die and rise again. What did they say when they realized and understood it was Jesus in the breaking of the bread? Did not our... Come on, speak to me. Did not our hearts burn within us? And I ask all of you this morning, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the fact that as the, the preacher was preaching, your hearts were burning within you because the Word of God became alive and, and you knew that the Holy Spirit was doing something in your life because the blindness that had uh, kept you from seeing the truth had fallen from your eyes like scales that fell from the eyes of the Apostle Paul and you wanted God to come in and dwell you. You felt that, that, if he, that through his word he was taking possession of you and you were becoming his child and, and, and you knew that you, your life would never be the same. You could not get enough of the word of God. When I was first converted in high school, I went to Sunday school. I went to church. Then we had evening church. Went to evening church. Then after that, we had a youth program. And then when I went home, you know what I did? I turned on the radio and I listened to preachers preach. Why? Because I could not get enough of God's word. His word had me. And you need to understand that that word is powerful. Sharper than a two-edged sword. It will divide. And it will heal. That same word of God that brought order out of chaos in Genesis chapter 1 can bring Order out of the chaos that is in your life this morning if you would yet place yourself in the hands of the living God. The power of 
the Word of God. I was teaching at Westminster Seminary, as I mentioned earlier, and we had a program in New York where we'd go and teach, and I would go there on Monday nights uh, at different times. And I was walking down one of the major roads in New York, nothing but cement everywhere. Out of the crack in the cement, there grew a plant. Why? Like the Word of God, if it can just find a crevice, uh, some little place, it will grow. And you know what, you know what happens to plants that, that grow in that little crack in the cement? What's it do to the cement? It breaks it. It crushes it. It changes it. And that's exactly what the Word of God will do in our lives if we give it a place in our life. If we read it. If we hear it preached. If we meditate on it. If we memorize it. Uh, that will make a difference. Young people, y'all memorizing the Bible? Scriptures? What's the last verse you memorized? What's your name? Geneva. Geneva? What's the last verse you memorized? Yeah. Which is? To live as Christ. Is that what, that one? Not to live as Christ and die as gain. I think that's 29. Well, you think about that and come afterwards, okay? Uh, are you memorizing the Word of God? Uh, you older folks, are you memorizing the Word of God? Uh, it will change and transform your life. Well, we've seen the, the sower. We've seen the power of the Word. Now let's look at the soils. This is the main point of this parable. At the time of Jesus, uh, the first type of soil is the path, the seeds that fall among the, among the path. Uh, there were very few paved roads. How many of you have been to Israel? Have you walked up the Roman road that goes to Jerusalem? It's kind of like stair steps. You know, the, the Romans knew how to make good roads. Uh, but most people, they, they just kept walking the same paths. And sometimes it'd go through a field and sometimes it would go around a field, depending on how far that distance was. But the continual walking of people over the same trails packed down the dirt. And it packed it down so hard that it became as hard as rock. And so as the sower sowed, he just wasn't being wasteful in how he sowed. Uh, but in order to cover the entire field, some of that seed fell on the hard ground. Now, because the seed fell on the hard ground, it was exposed. And it said that the birds of the air would come and take that seed. And our Lord describes that as Satan or the evil one coming to take the word of God from you. Do you realize you're involved in a spiritual warfare? There's a battle going on for your soul. Uh, we don't really think of that anymore. Uh, my contention is that we are so secular, we, we're no longer biblical in understanding of life and the world. And one of the ways that is expressed is in the fact that we don't believe that there's a spiritual battle going on around us, that we live in a world that is filled with spirits. How many angels are gathered with us this morning to worship? All the angels in heaven, because we're not here, Hebrews says, when we worship. We're what? We're exalted up into the heavenly throne room. 
And so we're with those myriad of angels and the, 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 the living creatures that are circling the throne of God when we worship. Uh, we live in a spiritual world. And there's a spiritual battle going on. And so uh, that seed is sown. And because it's exposed, the birds come and pick it up. The other thing that happens to that seed, the Gospel of Mark tells us, is that because it's on that very hard ground, as people walk on the path, as carts roll over the path, as animals go down that path, the seed is ground up in the dust and blown away. And Jesus says that this is someone who has a hard heart. A hard heart. What's an illustration of a hard heart? Well, it's like a two-year-old who's mad, who is slumped over in the corner with their arms crossed, they have a scowl on their face, and they're shaking their head no. Some of you are doing that very thing this morning, but you're a little too old to act that way externally. But in your heart, you're saying, preacher, I don't care what you say. I'm not listening. This might be my parents' religion, but it's not mine. Or this might be my wife's religion, but it's not mine. Or this might be my husband's religion, but it's not mine. Then others of you have a hard heart because... Your heart isn't open to what I'm saying. It's filled with what you want to do when, if this preacher would hurry up and finish, <laughs> when you leave. Maybe your team is playing today. My team doesn't play till tomorrow night. <laughs> fly, eagles, fly, eagles, fly. <laughs> uh, but the point is this. Is your heart hard? Sometimes it grows hard because you know so much and you've heard so much over your life that you're saying, you know, why can't we hear anything new or interesting or exciting or, or you know, why can't the pastor tell a few jokes and make me laugh and be more entertaining? Our heart is hard. Do you know what you need to do to protect yourself from a hard heart is to pray before you come to church. And you know what you need to pray before you come to church? You need to pray, Lord, make me open to what you have to say to me today. Maybe it'll be in a hymn or a psalm. Maybe it'll be in a prayer. Maybe it'll be in a reading. Maybe it'll be in the message. Maybe it'll be in the communion that you'll speak to me. But make my heart receptive for that message. I mean, most of you looked like you prepared pretty well to come this morning. You dressed up, took a shower. But did you dress up your spirit for church? Did you put as much emphasis on preparing the inside as you had, did the outside to hear God's word? This section of Matthew is frightening because in chapter 12, he talks about what kind of sin? The unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin. We're not quite sure what the unpardonable sin is. And we don't know exactly when someone crosses that line. We just know it's out there and it's there. But, it, but it, I think it has something to do with hardening your heart towards God's word and not being a, willing to let it penetrate inside you. And so, my friends, you're in the most dangerous place you can be this morning when it comes to God's word. And that is the position where you hear this message and you walk out 
and you simply say, just words, preacher. Just words. But you're also in the very best place for that word of God to get hold of your heart and to change it. First type of soil is soil that falls on the, on the path. The second type of soil is the soil that falls upon the rocks or the rocky soil. Palestine is covered with limestone. And because of the, uh, the, the weather pattern, you get heavy rains for a part of the year, but then it's dry the rest of the year. There's very little cover crop or vegetation to keep erosion from happening. So if you have any type of hills or inclines, when it does rain, it washes away all the dirt. And in many places in Israel, it's just bare rock. Why? Because the soil has washed away. If the ground is flat, you have some topsoil, but right underneath it you have this limestone, and the limestone is permeable so that the water will drain through it. And so in rocky, shallow soil, if there's moisture, the seed will come up quickly, but because of the permeableness of the limestone and the heat from the sun, that soil quickly dries out, and even though the seed burst in the life, the fact that it has no depth, it dies. Now, I'm a lousy gardener, and uh, so I tried to plant some seeds. I wanted to plant some, uh, some lavender seeds, and I, so I have these little, you know, this box of about 60 little tiny things you put a seed in. And uh, they were doing pretty good until I forgot to water them for a couple days. And guess what happened? They died and shriveled right up. Why? Because there, there was such a small amount of soil and there's no room uh, for the, the moisture to stay in the ground and for the roots to go down deep. And what happened was, is that uh, the plants died. And Jesus is saying, this is what happens uh, to those who make a quick response to the gospel, primarily an emotional response to the gospel. Notice what it says. Uh, with joy, they respond to the word. With joy, they respond to the word. Too many people believe that because they've had a, an emotional response to the gospel, that they are sons or daughters of our Lord. An emotional response to the gospel is not a true response to the gospel. I don't care if you've come forward in a meeting where you've wept, where you've cried, where you've poured your heart out, where you promised that you'd never do it again. That is not a conversion experience. A conversion experience, we will see, is a transformed life. A life that continues to, to walk with the Lord. And how many of us have had friends who've had emotional experiences with God, but a couple days later are back exactly where they were the day before? And this is what it means to have an emotional response to the gospel, but not a response that's grounded and growing in the truth. The third kind of soil is a soil that falls among the weeds. Now, unlike the, the, the second soil, where the, um, the influence is external, where you know, Jesus talks about there being persecution and trials and troubles, and, you know, a lot of people, they make a decision for Christ because they think that's a quick way out of their trouble. But it's not. 
Making a decision for Christ often gets you into more trouble because he calls you to live differently. Uh, so unlike the second soil where the, there's external trouble, uh, the third kind of soil, the weeds, is internal troubles because the weeds that Jesus mentions are uh, worry and riches. Worry and riches. Now that's, we, that's a real problem in our church today. Because, see, we live in a completely materialistic culture. Did you know the founding value of our nation is not liberty? It's the pursuit of happiness. And the, and the real word they wanted to use but didn't use was property. So the whole raison d'etre for the United States of America is to obtain property. The freedom to obtain property. That's in our Geitzeit. That's who we are. We're people who are madly in pursuit of property, of wealth, of materialism. And that's, we're crazy. We're crazy as a, as a culture. Because we'll do anything to amass wealth. And everything in our society is pushing you towards materialism. We live in a society that is continually dumping miracle grow on the weed of materialism in our lives. And you cannot help but have it flourish in you if you listen to our culture. Now, you know what I hate about weeds? The first is they seem to grow more quickly and better than what I've planted, right? I plant these plants, they don't do too well, but boy, the weeds grow up around them in no time whatsoever. Why? Did you know that the gospel is foreign? Is a foreign seed to your heart? The gospel does not naturally grow in our hearts. It's foreign soil. We actually have to use the means of grace to get that seed to grow. And, um, but what grows there very well are weeds. I planted a garden at the, at the beginning of spring and uh, pulled up all the weeds by the roots and planted my plants. You know what I have now? I have a bed of weeds. Because I don't like to pull weeds. And because I don't like to pull weeds, the flowers died, but the weeds kept growing. So you know what I did? I simply mowed them down now. And so those weeds look like grass. And that's what most of us do with the, the weeds in our lives. We just make them look like they belong. That they're nice. That, they're, that they belong there. Uh, but those weeds will choke out anything spiritual in your life. And here's the very sad thing of all. This isn't the problem of new Christians. You know who it's a problem for? Us older Christians. Particularly as we think about retiring. You know, I wonder, well, do I have enough to retire? Maybe I need more. Or as you go along, you begin to, you begin to envy your neighbors who have so much more. 
and you don't have as much. And you think, gee, I, I should have more. And uh, you want more, and so unchecked, those weeds will become more important to you than your spiritual life. I want to talk about another invasive weed that's destroying the church. Is my time up? <laughs> I, I, I never like to go somewhere where my drive is longer than my sermon. <laughs> and so it's a two and a half hour drive back to Philly. But I spoke for two hours yesterday, so it's okay. <laughs> Um, that there's a new invasive weed that's destroying the church and it's the worries of this world. It's called politics. Do you really think that any political system can save you? Do you think that if the person you support got in the office that things would be better? Or if it doesn't work that way. But you know you've gone too far in this whole area when you will not worship with a brother and sister in Christ because they hold a different opinion than you do on what should be done politically in our country. Because our first loyalty is to the kingdom of God. And then there's a lot of room for disagreement over what's the best political philosophy that people should build their lives upon. But I do know this. The church under communism is doing a whole lot better than the church under the U.S. Constitution. Why? Because they realize that they need to be different, that they're called to be different, and so they are a different community. Well, the fourth kind of soil is the soil that is planted on the good, on the good, the fourth kind of soil is the good soil, and it grows a crop. 160 and 30 fold. What is that crop? It's that we have produced in us the fruit of the Spirit that grows there because of the Spirit's work in our life. That it's released and empowered and we're changed and we begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ in what we say and what we do. And you know what fruit produces? More fruit. That naturally people want to ask you, what's the difference in your life and mine? Has anyone ever asked you that? What makes you the way you are? Well, lots of people ask me that, but it's not a positive thing. You know? <laughs> Why are you like that? My wife says that to me too often. <laughs> Why are you like that? Why are you like that? Are we, are we truly different? Well, that's the power of God's word working in our heart. And we, and we will naturally reproduce others. Others. And so I want you to think as you gather every week in this church and you look around and see all these children, which is a beautiful thing, ask yourself this question. Are there other spiritual children that God wants to give birth to? through me and this church. So that together, because remember I said farming was what? A family affair. And you are the family of God. And so God has lots of spiritual children that he wants to make part of this family. And what you need to pray is say, Lord, make us the kind of church that will be 
fertile soil for bringing your children to you. Now, here's the sad truth about me and about you. When I look at my life, I see a lot more hard ground, rocky ground, and weedy ground than I see good ground. This summer, our church worked with an African-American Christian school, uh, helping them run a summer program. And one of the things they wanted to do was have a garden project. And we have lots of good gardeners in our church, and the lady who uh, was in charge of it, we had raised beds, and she put down cardboard in the bottom, and then she brought in soil from the, uh, from the uh, mushroom area to plant the, the vegetables in. They grew like crazy. What, what did she do? She brought in new soil. The good news of the gospel is this. The great promise of the scriptures is that I will give you a new what? A new heart. And so this morning, if your heart is hard, you ask Jesus to give you a new heart. This morning, if your heart is shallow soil, you ask Jesus to give you a new heart. This morning, if your heart is full of weeds, you ask Jesus to give you a new heart. And then you pray, Lord, make me fruitful. Lord, make our church fruitful. For your glory? No, for Christ's glory. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise that you'll give us a new heart in Jesus' name. Thank you that what you've done in our lives, and may we with joy and wisdom share this message with others, and would you send new people uh, who don't know you, whose lives are a mess, would you uh, send them to us uh, so that we can sit alongside them and begin this journey of being your followers. Help us to be optimistic spreaders of this seed to all the corners of this, this earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.